It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Good Tuesday, everybody, and welcome to the VolQuest podcast. I'm Eric Kane with Brent Hubs and Rob Lewis. Austin Price is off on one of his 20 golf excursions of the year. I, you know, are, are we allowed to talk Tennessee football? That was your joke, Brent, but can we talk Tennessee football without AP? Uh, maybe not well, but we can, we can absolutely 100% try to talk some Tennessee football here. There's a lot to talk about with Tennessee football and college football in general. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little ball, Tennessee two and O looking to go three and O for only the second time since, um, I, I don't know how long I'd have to go back and look the last time Tennessee went, went three and O, I guess was in 2016 when Butch Jones was here. So, Tennessee trying to get to four or to three and zero and set up a uh, heck of a showdown with Florida on CBS on three thirty in two weeks. I do. I do just want to say anybody hover who had the over three and a half Pixar Disney references in, in today's podcast, you're out. You're out. You lost. Just tear up your ticket. Tear I couldn't slip. I couldn't make three Pixar Disney references to movies <laughs> if I had to. So uh, that's not going to come from me. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, no chance. But, yeah, there's plenty to talk about. Of course, Tennessee, a 34-27 overtime win at Pittsburgh. Tennessee shoots up to number 15, latest AP poll. You have Hendon Hooker, who's named the SEC uh, Offensive Player of the Week. Byron Young, SEC Defensive Lineman of the Week, as Brent mentioned. Tennessee and Florida in two weeks. That's going to be on CBS, 3.30 kickoff. A lot going on. Plenty to talk about here on this VolQuest podcast as you uh, continue to follow the sites uh, over at our new home of On3, VolQuest.com, of course, on the Journal's Quarters, and by following our work on the VolQuest YouTube page. Uh, Rob, we'll start with you, man. I mean, Tennessee, of course, has kind of been the theme ever since Saturday night. I mean, d- Tennessee did not play well. Austin Price characterizes it as a C-minus football game for Tennessee. But Tennessee went on the road and beats a pit team that was ranked inside the top 25. A win's a win. And I think a lot of the conversation on Monday, you know, hearing on the radios and seeing on the message boards and whatnot, I think we might be forgetting that this is a football win for Tennessee. And that, that's not nothing. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm not getting caught up in the aesthetics of it because, as Josh Heupel said on a couple different occasions, he said it Saturday night, said it again today. Just, I, and I agree with him. I don't think this is a football game this team wins last year with the adversity they, they faced and, and a lot of, yeah, let's face it. A lot of it was, was self-inflicted and they were, they were sloppy to start. Uh, they couldn't get off the field on defense, but you know, unlike in the recent past, I mean, when they had to come through, they made plays, they made plays on defense, you know, Trevon flowers was, you know, Trevon flowers was a microcosm of this whole team. I mean, he had the horrible gaffe that, you know, set Pittsburgh up for the tie and touchdown in, in the fourth quarter. But he also made probably the two biggest plays of his career with the interception to keep points off the board and then the sack that turned, you know, pushed them back for the 10-yard line to make it fourth and 20 to end the game. Yeah, yeah. he really did. I mean, he was he was all over the place. And uh, the interception was really a great play because I think Kamal hadn't got his hands on it and able to get that off the deflection, have the whereabouts of where you are in the back of the end zone, get those feet in, and – you know, Brent, that was uh, Pittsburgh was driving. I mean, they could have went up 17 nothing at that point in the first quarter, and that would have really put Tennessee in a hole. Tennessee was already in two 10 point deficits in the first half where it was able to overcome it, but I don't know what it would have looked like if Tennessee went down 17 nothing. A huge play from Flowers, and of course, he got hurdled. He got truck sticked on a play in the second half. Um, the muff punts able to come through with a huge sack at the end of the football game with Tim, Br- Tim Banks bringing pressure, making a fourth and goal from the 20. Um, but 
at the end of the day, you did have a senior that made some plays to help you win this football game. Well, and and again, I think that's the the thing about the theme of this game that stands out to me, and it's 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 the beauty of college football, right? I mean, Tennessee wins, but they don't win pretty. So there there's some gnashing of the teeth about that. Um, you got a guy who makes plays but gives up plays. You got a quarterback who wins SEC Player of the Week honors. And, and quite frankly, could have had a 400-yard-plus day rather easily had, had you know, Tillman caught the deep ball and, and a couple of other drops and had he delivered the ball a little bit better on a couple of different times. So that that's the beauty of it, right? I mean, you you, you – you, you should soak in the wind, but then you look at it and go, man, there's there's a lot left out there for Tennessee, and, and we'll see if Tennessee can correct those things and, and move those things moving forward. And, and the margin of error is so small. I mean, just think about a couple plays that, you know, if Tyler Baird doesn't get the strip sack to end the first half, those three points were huge. And in the fourth quarter, it's third and nine from the, from the 26. Brew McCoy catches a ball short of the sticks fights his way for, for first down yardage, and that ends up being the 51-yard Chase McGrath field goal. I mean, if th- those two plays don't happen, you don't get those six points. You know, th- there were, I mean, and you could point to a lot of sequences like that. And I'm sure Pittsburgh people can too. Sure, oh. Pittsburgh Pittsburgh people are going to if, – if our two guys don't knock each other out of bounds on, on the on the pump block who score a touchdown there, that's, that's a different thing. I, I think that's the beauty of college football and parity when, when things are – you know, a bit evenly matched, you know, or, or you got two solid teams going out after each other the, the way that they did. It does come down to just a handful of plays, Eric. And Tennessee was on the right side of enough of those plays uh, to, to, end, to end up getting what, what's a very important win for them, you know, moving forward. I, I don't think it's a pronouncement that they're back or that they're there or that they've ri- arrived or anything like that. But as Rob said, Eric, it's a game that, that, uh, that Tennessee doesn't win a year ago. I, I don't think Tennessee has the mental fortitude to be able to win that game a year ago it, 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 with everything that went against them at times in this game. And a lot of it was brought on by themselves. Well, they, they almost played this game a year ago against Pittsburgh yeah. and they lost it. You know, they yeah. had, you know, through an interception late, couldn't get the stop in the fourth quarter when they needed to. So, I mean, it's, get you know, the, it's not the, the line to gain there towards the end as well and didn't win the Ole Miss game. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's been countless examples over the past, you know, five, seven, 15 years where Tennessee doesn't win this football game. So I do think it's encouraging um, that, and again, I'm never one to wear the yard chain of sunglasses, but I mean, I just, I'm kind of, I'm kind of baffled here as we're recording this late on a Monday that I've heard all the talk today. It's like, people are disappointed. It's like, oh, absolutely. Tennessee can play a whole lot better, but Tennessee did get the win. Also back to a couple of those sequences, Rob, you were referencing, I mean, you had Pitt that missed two field goals. Pitt that ran their guy out of bounds on that pump block, as Brent brought up. You had Chase McGrath, who had a 37-yarder that's no gimme. And then he had a 51-yarder. This is the last time I'll say it, but, I mean, I Austin, me and Austin looked at each other in the press box said, no chance. By golly, he could have made that from 55 yards, like he said in Monday's press conference. So, uh, every little bit helps in this football game, and Tennessee was able to get the win. A big positive for me is that this front seven, really this entire defense, because Walker had a sack, of course, Flowers had a sack. This defense got after it, got after the passer. Uh, Keaton Slovis was, of course, knocked out of the football game in the second quarter. He didn't come back after halftime, uh, but they were hitting him. They were hitting Patty. Uh, Tyler Barron's strip sack was huge. Byron Young had a very strong game. Aaron Beasley was all over the place, and he, he never got home. He got credited for a sack, 
but gosh, he, he it says he has three quarterback hurries. I bet he had about six or seven quarterback hurries. The defense, the same progression, the same game plan as Aaron Beasley said on Monday in, in the press conference, got home and made a huge difference in this football game, Brent Hubbs. Well, and, and I mean, look, I think Tyler Barron played his best game, Rob. Um, and, and look, Tim Banks said, we're going for broke, right? I mean, it, Pitt was a little predictable in the second half, maybe a lot predictable in the second half with a backup quarterback. They were going to run it on first down. Tennessee sold out for the first down run play, run blitz. Were, what do they need to do to stop the run? Uh, and, and then really got after him. But even before that with Slovis on the field, Tennessee said, we're going to play offensive on defense. And we're going to come get you up front. And their front seven came and got it. I, I think I think that's the mentality that you're going to see Tennessee have to play with defensively if they're going to be successful. I don't know that they're going to be a great zone back-end defensive team. But Tim Banks said, here we come. Come stop it. And, and obviously, Pitt had a hard time with it. If I'm a Tennessee fan, I, I love that. Because personnel-wise, I mean, I still don't think they're an upper echelon SEC defense talent-wise. I mean, that's not exactly reinventing the wheel to say that. But I, I love that mentality. I mean, you're going to get burnt. You're going to give up some stuff. You're going to be one-on-one on the perimeter. But I hate the death by a 1,000 cuts. You know, 10 plays, 11 plays, 12 plays. Force the action. Force, you know, and, and maybe, you know, maybe some things go your way. That's exactly what happened on, on Saturday. By, and I think it, a lot of that was just a byproduct of what you just said, Brent, that Tim Banks was going to be aggressive and, and take his chances. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Tennessee didn't blitz at all against Ball State, um, but they were very vanilla. I mean, if you watch Ball State then you watch this game against Pittsburgh, you could tell that it was, you know, dialing it up, much more aggressive, blitzing from the second level, you know, blitzing from the third level, bringing guys off the edge, that type of stuff. Um, and, and I think that's something that Wesley Walker, when he mentioned in Monday's press conference as well, he likes that this is going to be a, an aggressive defense. It's going to be a defense that blitzes a lot. And that's able you, you're, you're able to disguise some things in the back end a little bit more because you're constantly getting that pressure. So I'm intrigued to see how this defense moves on. Of course, you want to clean up. You want to focus on yourselves this week against Akron. There's not a whole lot to preview there, but we will as the week goes on. But the SEC play gets going 3.30, CBS, and, you know, next Saturday against Florida. You're going to have to play with that aggressive mindset. And, and up front as well, I thought Amari Thomas played a good football game. thought Karak Garland played a, a good football game. And, of course, We've already mentioned Byron Young and Tyler Barron. The NASCAR package where they went fast, I liked how they slid Tyler Barron in, brought Roman Harrison, who played well, as a second Leo on the field, along with Amari Thomas and Byron Young. Just any way you want to spin it. Were they perfect? No, they never will be perfect. But that defensive line group, I thought, was pretty stellar against Pittsburgh. Well, and Rodney Garner, Rob, did what he said he was going to do in the preseason. Play more people. Play more people. I mean, he – Look, he played Omari Thomas more snaps than he wanted to play, I think, at 65 or whatever, which Austin mentioned on Sunday night on the Rewind. I'm sure that's a higher number than what Rodney Garner wants. But you look at the other stuff. I mean, he kept throwing some guys out there. And they're going to have to continue to grow and play some guys. Joshua Joseph, some of those guys continued moving forward. Uh, a Tyreek West. But, but Rodney Garner played people up front, and it helped that team be the more physical team in the fourth quarter because he didn't just gas four guys. He, he, he played a lot of guys. I thought that was a smart move by Rodney Garner in this yeah, game. Yeah, I mean, guy, guys who didn't start. I'm actually – I've started working on the, the pro football focus stuff today, and so I, I've got it in front of me. Bryson Eason and Dominic Bailey didn't start. They played 20 snaps and 18 snaps, respectively. Bumpus played 20 snaps. Elijah Simmons played 12. DeJon Terry played 14. I mean, that's exactly what you're talking about, Hubbard. I mean, he, he had the, the guts to, you know, maybe – 
maybe some of these guys aren't exactly where I want them to be, but I've got to keep guys fresh. And he, and he went with it. So you're kind of where you want to be on the defensive line in terms of getting some guys, some snaps and all that, playing a lot of playing a lot of bodies um, and being productive. Like, in my opinion, they were against Pittsburgh. You look at the secondary. I mean, those stages are going to play. Uh, that's pretty much what Josh Heupel said last week. They're going to play the majority of the snaps. They're going to play. I and mean, that's evident with Jalen McCullough and Trayvon Flowers getting the snap counts they have the last two years in the system. Um, something encouraging for me, guys, Kamal Haddon, 86 snaps in this football game. Uh, that's a guy that needs to be on the field as much as he possibly can be. I think he's Tennessee's best cornerback. Um, how much will Christian Charles start kind of moving in there, Warren Burrell, you know, whoever else. But having Kamal Haddon on the football field is is good thing. And I think he played, what was it, guys, maybe 16, 17? He didn't 16. play many snaps against Ball State. Seeing that increase was good. Well, look, it's pretty simple. He got healthy. You know, they wanted to be a little cautious with him at Ball State. But, Robin, 16 snaps against Ball State. You, you, you didn't you didn't have to go get your coaching PhD to see who the best defensive back was on the field for Tennessee in 16 snaps against the Cardinals uh, heading into Pittsburgh. It's pretty obvious. Yeah, what did he finish with? Five tackles and, and the interception? And that's pretty productive in 16 snaps. And, and I'm, I'm with you, Eric. The safeties, McCullough and, and Flowers, they're going to play, you know, basically every, every snap. Um, it is pretty much Walker and um, Tamari McDonald are almost – it's not quite 50-50, but I mean, Walker played 35 snaps in that game. Um, he's obviously going to be on the field a lot. I thought he did some nice things. And at corner, I, I, I don't want to pile on Warren, Warren Burrell. There's been a lot said there, but that, that to me seems like that's probably going to be an ongoing battle. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's got to play with more confidence. I mean, he just does not look like a guy playing with a ton of confidence right now. I don't know where Christian Charles' confidence is. I don't know where Brandon Turnage is in, in this program with Willie Martinez right now. D. Williams is a guy who's hurt that if he were healthy, I think he would be a factor there. But but we'll have to see, you know, how they elect to play that. I think it's unfortunate that Wesley Walker got hurt in fall camp because that they were working him some at safety to maybe be a part of a rotation there settled him back in at star. I don't think Tamari McDonald's playing bad at all, Eric. I like what Wesley Walker's done in two games. I think he's I think he's been solid. I think he really hunts the football particularly well. I don't know that he's great in coverage, but uh, I think he hunts the football well for sure and, and has been productive in his the snaps given to him in the two games he's played thus far. No, I agree with you. He's very instinctive. You can tell he's played a whole lot of football. He's a veteran, and so I like that presence out there. And and I echo that about Tamari McDonald. I don't think he's played bad at all, um, which is why I was kind of excited to see if they would start allowing Walker to eat into the, some of the safety uh, snap counts as the season went on. Right now, that's not the case. We'll see. He, he mentioned it on, uh, on Monday that uh, he hopes to be getting some more reps at safety as the year goes on like he was in training camp. So we'll see how that unfolds. But uh, regardless, it just it, it's not there right now. But I like his presence on the field. I like tracking this from week to week, especially with kind of the predicament Warren Burrell's in right now. Uh, your two starting corners, Burrell and Haddon, both had 10 targets in the football game. Burrell will give up seven receptions for 71 yards and a touchdown. I'll go back and say that, I mean, he was he was playing tight coverage on that touchdown in the fourth quarter. It's a good throw. It's a really good catch. Uh, Haddon, 10 targets, four receptions, 42 yards. Obviously, there's a difference there in terms of who's given up more. And Brent, something we've been asked a lot last week, and, and maybe we can get some more info on Tim Banks later in the week, but the cushion, you see some you know, corners playing up and press, some bailing out a little bit, giving a six, seven-yard cushion. Uh, what, yeah, that, that's, that's from the coaches 
what, what do you think the meaning is behind that in some of those certain situations? Well, I mean, I think, I think it's from the coaches press versus bail, right? Okay. So, I mean, if you're in press coverage, you're, you're going to be locked up in a, in a chicken fight at the line of scrimmage. If you're in bail coverage, you're bailing out. Now everybody's bail is a little bit different, right? I mean, some guys bail three yards, four yards. I think if you watch in bail coverage, Kamal Haddon doesn't bail out as hard as Warren Burrell bails out. Maybe that's a confidence thing there. I don't think that it's a set call, hey, we're bailing five here, meaning we're backing off five yards at the snap of the ball. I think if you're playing bail coverage, that's just kind of, Rob, your your comfort level. And I think right now the, the, the cockiest guy in the secondary, the guy with the most belief in his game in the secondary right now is Kamal Haddon. And, and I think that's why he doesn't give the same cushion that Warren Burrell gives. That's my thought. We'll see. We'll see if that's right or not. But that's certainly what it feels like to me. No, I agree with you. And I think that's where the, the confident, you know, the confidence level comes in that you're talking about for both players. Last thing I'd say on defense, and unless you guys have something else, um, I think it's pretty evident. Uh, Juwan Mitchell's going to play this season. He might play this week. He's going to be back. Um, Brent, as you said on the rewind, he's not taking snaps away from Aaron Beasley right now. At best, right now, he's going to be a compliment, and that's a welcome compliment, of course. But Aaron Beasley's playing uh, as good as anybody on this football team right now. Well, the question, Rob, is is Aaron Beasley this year's Theo Jackson? That's a great. That's a great line. I mean, through two games, he is. We'll see if it lasts. But through two games, he's this year's version of Theo Jackson. No, none of us had Aaron Beasley doing what he's done in two games playing at the level of play that he's playing right now. I certainly did. I don't think any of you guys did. I no. know I didn't at all. He, no. He's in a total different level of play than he was at any point last year. Without, I mean, he, sh- he just shows up all the time. He's flashing all the time, whether it's like the quarterback uh, hurries Eric's talking about. Um, you know, you you can really see his sideline to sideline speed. And, and, I, and I think, you know, kind of what he said today or on Monday, what Coach Heifel said on Monday is – I think being, you know, having a full spring, having a full off season, it was really big for him. But he's, you can tell he's a guy that's playing fast, meaning that, you know, he's he's seeing seeing things and making a decision and he's getting places in a hurry. It, it's that right there. I was going to say he's reading so much better this year early on than at any point in time last year, in my opinion, because you're reading it, you're seeing it better, you're more instinctive, you're running the alleyway, you're getting there in a hurry, and he's doing that really well. Intrigued to see how that holds up in SEC play because last year, I will say this, last year he kind of held his own there for a while and looked, you know, not this good, but he looked decent. And then as the year went on, because they only played three guys, he kind of tailed off. So let's flip the script to offense. Tennessee responded well into the first quarter, a big reason because of that interception from Theo Jackson helped setting up a, a touchdown. Trayvon Flowers. Trayvon Flowers. What would I say? Theo Jackson. Oh, yeah, I, Theo Jackson. I, plan, that was I planted year. that seed in your mind. I apologize. <laughs> Trayvon Flowers, but Tennessee goes punt, punt, turnover on downs, responds, touchdown, 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 punt, field goal, half. But then in the third quarter, and then really the entire second half, it was held to just a field goal before the overtime touchdown. Uh, You want to find some middle ground there. You want to find some consistency. I just think that for as good as Hendon Hooker was getting some weekly honors and Cedric Tillman, they left a lot out there as a unit. Those two guys, the running game, everybody involved. I, my biggest concern leaving the game is the running game. And I'm not, I'm not like concerned to the point of pushing the panic button. They've got too many guys back there that, you know, that were productive a, a year ago, but you know, to average just a hair, even take the sacks out, Pittsburgh had three sacks, take that yardage out. They still average just a hair over three yards of carry. And I mean, I know Hubbard, we've talked about it, that that's, 
you know, really that's the nuts and bolts of this offense. The, the passing game is sexy and flashy, but what really makes it go is when they're running the ball. And that's when you, that to me is when the tempo really takes effect. When they stack, you know, two or three first downs on top of each other, they're getting, about, you know, the seventh or eighth play of the drive and taking 13 or 14 seconds in between plays. That to me is when it really starts to wear on a defense. And if they're not getting, you know, four or five, six yards, that's not happening. Yeah, and, and I think that that's – and I have to, to to get my mind around this a little bit, Rob. I, I think that when things aren't going well in, in kind of the history of covering Tennessee football, it's you go back to your run game and you get things settled down. I, I don't know that that's ever going to be the case in Josh Heupel's offense, right? Because I think the run game really complements the passing game, as you're talking about, when you can get to that – first second down type deal and, and you get a team really running and you get a team really tired and then you can start gashing them a little bit Tennessee never got to that on Saturday now does that mean the run game's poor I think it needs to be better but they never really got into that world because um it, they had too many negative plays on first down to start stringing stuff together I mean you, you look at them in the third quarter they come out you say okay here's your chance they get a stop on uh, they get the missed field goal for Pitt. They get the ball back at their own 28. They go first down on two passing plays, and then Hooker sacked for six yards at second and 16. You're suddenly not into a run game situation there. You look at the next drive. They open with a pass on first down, incomplete. Then they're a penalty. They're in second and 15, then third and 15. A and then they got going a little bit, and they fumbled the ball with, with Jalen Wright um, after making a couple first downs throwing the ball. What's interesting to me – no first down runs in in, uh, in the third quarter at all. Everything on first down was a passing play. Maybe they just felt like they couldn't run it against Pitt at all. I, I don't know. But but there was no early down runs. It was an early down pass, and it was feast or famine with that. It was a nine-yard gain to Hyatt, put you in second and short, or it was an incomplete pass that put you in second and long. Um, I, I thought it was interesting, particularly in the second half, that – they didn't really commit to trying to run the football. So we'll we'll see if if there's a better commitment to running the football on first down than what we saw against Pitt um, based on who they're playing or if they're just going to have to get rolling with the passing game on first down to get a drive started before they really get settled into their run game because they don't, they don't act like they have a ton of confidence in calling their run game right now. I'm not saying that. They've not told me that. But looking at the stats, it kind of didn't feel like that on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, you saw in the fourth quarter when they went and, you know, it was hooker to hide, hooker to hide, hooker to hide, you know, just trying to get in some type of rhythm with a short passing game to supplement the run game or the lack thereof later in that football game. And, you know, I'll echo what Josh Heupel said, um, give, give credit to Pitt. Now, th this is my words right here. I don't I don't think this Pitt team is – I mean, they could. They could go and win the ACC this year. I don't know. I, I don't think that they're a, a world beater. They're not a college football playoff team. I think they're a solid football team. I'll give credit to Brandon Hill and Savassier Dennis. Uh, you had the uh, uh, Baldonado. He he's he's the man. He he's 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 a player and, and can't see up the middle. John Morgan. They, they made it tough, you know, to run the football. And of course, they were back there, you know, wreaking havoc on Hendon Hooker at times as well. But that's um, a defense. I, that's a defense that gave up 190 yards to West Virginia in Week One. And what did West Virginia do in Week Two, Rob? Lost to Kansas. I mean, they did score 44 points. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I'm just but, I, I'm just a little bit – I'm with Rob. I'm not pushing the panic button, okay? I think Jalen Wright's their best running back right now um, or a guy who's got a chance to 
have more big plays right now, it feels like, than Jabari Small. Um, but it just it, it feels like the the run game's a half tick off, right? Like you, you think there's you think there's something there and then it closes down or it doesn't develop the way that you think it's gonna de- gonna develop. So um, you know, I don't think we'll figure out any answers to the run game this week against Akron, but they're gonna have to run the football with with some kind of rhythm in SEC play. Or they're going to be in trouble, and Hinton Hooker is going to be on his backside a lot because teams are just going to tee off on him every every snap. Well, the, the game that jumps out to me, I know this isn't an SEC game, but Purdue in the Music City Bowl. I mean, Tennessee ran the ball. Jabari Small ran the ball so well in that football game, and obviously Hinton went off, Cedric Tillman went off, and Tennessee scored forty four or five points, whatever it was. But the run game was on point. So I mean, even against Ball State, I didn't think that it was. I mean, it was it was hitting like like it did at points and times a season ago. So. You know, we, we'll see. Um, you had Hendon Hooker, who set a completion record, or a career high in completions, 27. He threw for over 300 yards for the fourth time in his career. Actually set a Tennessee school record for 100 and, uh, what was it, 27 passes? 67 passes, Brent? Yes, yes one, yeah, 167 without a pick, school record. Yeah, uh, passing Jerry Garantano. So, and, and again, he's the offensive player of the, of the week in the SEC. 27 to 42, 325, 18 targets to Cedric Tillman, 13 targets to Jalen Hyatt, four targets to Brew McCoy. Rob, he's got to scan the field more moving forward, got to utilize Brew McCoy more. But is it a situation to where Ced's his guy, it's a security blanket, and he just went there first and, and, and just trusted him more in this football game? Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely it. I mean, he's played his second game with Brew McCoy. And, you know, even, you know, he's not played as many live snaps with Hyatt, but he's certainly been around him on the field, you know, seven on seven, the all season. And I, I, the crazy thing about hooker, this is how much he's got me spoiled. I didn't think he looked that sharp. And he's SEC player, offensive player of the week in either week so far in either week, he just, you know, he can do better essentially. Yeah, I mean, just, and again, that, that's not a criticism that, that that's a compliment for how good, you know, he is or how good we've no. seen him be that he, you know, he throws for 300 plus and, it basically carries the day for you and you maybe lead the one of the first things you said off the podcast was how you know everything they left on the field but it, but it's true oh absolutely i mean it, i mean he could have had a he could have had a 450 yard day uh, i mean a, you know a 4 to 400 to 450 yard day and i think cedric tillman could have set the school record for passing yards you know for 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 receiving yards and, and and shattered it pretty good had they made a couple of, you know, a couple of plays. I mean, Cedric had the one drop, right, that, that in the end zone that would have been a touchdown. He had a drop on fourth down as well. Right, so he so he had two drops. But the one that it was in the end zone, what's that, 40 yards? Mm-hmm. I, thought it was, well, I thought it was 50. Anyway, okay. 40 or 50. 40 to 50 yards. That puts him over 200. And, and then there was another play in the first half where Cedric beat, the, beat his man deep and Hooker overthrew him by about yeah. five yards. And I mean – that was going to be 60 plus. Yeah. I mean, you know, and so that's the crazy thing about it is, and, and that's why Tennessee fans are sitting there going, should have beat that team by 21 points. And, and, and probably in reality, if you play well, you do beat them by 21 points. You didn't, and you still found a way to win. Now the question is, can you go and get better moving forward? The, the one, the one interesting thing for hooker, that's a bit surprising to me because we've heard it for two weeks now because Joey Halsey talked about it last week. Early in the game, Joey Halsley and, and Hendon Hooker for two weeks in a row now have talked about his footwork. 
about cleaning up some early things in the footwork. Remember against Ball State, he was high with some throws to start that game. We asked Joey Halsley about it when he met with the media before the pit game. And he said, yeah, we got on the sideline. We talked about it. He cleaned up and tightened up his footwork and, and everything got cleared up. Same thing this week. A couple of errant throws, some inaccurate stuff. Josh Heupel saying, yeah, he had a couple of fundamental things with his footwork that we had to get cleaned up. I don't know what's going on there, but but two weeks in a row, you you gotta you gotta get that cleaned up before the game starts, and, and not have to make that adjustment, uh, you know, in in game uh, with with your accuracy, because what, whatever that is is whatever habits trying to creep in there, you got to put that one to bed pretty quick. Last thing I have, last takeaway, I guess, from this football game, because uh, I do want to get you know y'all's comments on some of the games around the SEC and college football this weekend. You know, Rob. It's just the way the game flowed, right? Right, with, with Gerald Mincy over there at left tackle. Gerald Mincy just starting left tackle. He played every snap on offense of that football game. I think that's a major takeaway that they've solidified their guy. And, I mean, did, did, what did they see in week one, Hubbard, that they're like, we're playing three receivers, and that's it? I mean, because I, I thought guys had some, you know, I thought Walker Merrill, Jimmy Holiday, I, mean, I thought some guys did some things. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's they played three players. They played 15 players total. On offense. Uh, I know. 15 I know. players. And and some of those don't even count. J- Jimmy Callaway played two snaps. Right. And you I know. think Ramel Keaton played what? Six? Six. Something like that. I so, mean, I mean, essentially they paid, they played 13 players. But don't worry. They took a deep shot with Ramel Keaton. <laughs> well, but here's the thing too. They, they played, you know, 13, 15 players to, to, to exasperate that a little bit. They only threw the ball four times to Brew McCoy on the other side. No. Yeah. I mean, literally they were, they were playing you know, against a, a, a secondary with two receivers. It says how they played. They played an old basketball two-man game, Rob. I mean, they ran isolation to the right for an, for an entire football game, still scored enough points to win in overtime. Um, but we'll see. I, I don't – I think you're going to have to play more players. Now, here's the deal. Here's what's going to happen this week, okay? We're going to get on the podcast next Tuesday. And when we talk about Dylan Sampson and how good Dylan Sampson looked, and we'll be talking about this depth at receiver that they've got, right? And, and we'll be talking about all these guys. The question is going to be in two weeks, where is your line? Where, who, do you, who do you have confidence and who do you believe in in two weeks? Because it was very clear in the second half of this football game against Pittsburgh, they were only riding with a handful of guys. That's where their confidence level was with those guys. Where are they in two and three weeks when they're in conference play? I'm not sure you're going to make it all year long playing three receivers. You did it a year ago. I get that. But, boy, that's a risky proposition. I mean, a tight hamstring, a rolled ankle, right? I mean, just anything like that can put you in a tight situation. So you really need to try to find, I think, some guys you truly can believe in and count on and and limit some of those snaps that some of those guys take because – you're going to build that snap total in a hurry if you're only going to play three wide receivers. Yeah. And again, how we started this podcast is how I'll end this portion of it. Tennessee let, me, did not- let me say this quickly on Gerald Mincy, because you were talking about him and, and I got on a diatribe about the, rece- the receivers. Rob, you didn't notice Gerald Mincy, which nope. is the greatest compliment to Gerald Mincy on Saturday. I agree. I mean, I'm not saying he played great, but he, Agreed. I, he, but he, he was not, you know, he, he's, he's like an official. If you don't notice them, you know, they had a pretty good game. Uh, you know, didn't, again, the PFF stuff, sometimes you agree, sometimes you don't. They, they deemed him pretty well. He, he graded out as the lowest off, lowest offensive lineman besides Jerome Carvin. So I don't think he had a great game, but I, you know, 
I, I, I just echo what you said, Ever. You did not notice, but it wasn't like, bam, Hendon Hooker just got killed. Where'd that guy come from? Yeah, they weren't running by him in pass protection. I don't think he was very good in run blocking, but they were not running by him in pass protection all, all afternoon long, which I think is a positive. Now, it, it, you know, where he and Carvin in sync with some of the stunts and the twists and some things up there, maybe, maybe, maybe his struggles there exasperated Carvin's struggles a little bit. I don't know the intricacies of what all Glenn Ellerby's asking there, but I didn't see a lot of guys. I didn't see Pitt say, hey, you know what? We don't have to do all that because we can put our – speed rush guy on the outside and tell him to run by the left tackle and get to the quarterback. They were unable to do that uh, consistently, which is a positive sign moving forward. And I'll say this too, though. I mean, you know, watching the game twice now, I, I don't think Spragans and Darnell Wright were in sync on the other side either. Cause I remember those guys getting blown by a couple of times. Can't remember off the top of my head. Now seeing it twice, seeing Gerald Mincy do the same thing. So I well, echo what you guys said. And re- Remember this too. Cade, Cade Mays told me, and Cade Mays seen a lot of football. He's in the NFL now. Cade Mays is a smart football player. He said, there's nobody more difficult than Pitt because the stuff they do violates the rules of engagement. And not yeah. illegally, but, like, stuff doesn't make sense in terms of where guys are coming from. He said it's very difficult to handle. In a game where Tennessee did not play really well at all in the second half, for sure, uh, Tennessee did find a way to win. The important thing, on the road, in overtime, against a pretty solid football team in Pitt, 34 34- a 27 the final score you look elsewhere around college football guys another weekend of some upsets we are Marshall a big upset over Notre Dame interesting of course Appalachian State nearly pulled one off in week one they got A&M 17-14 um of course Kentucky got Florida everybody was was praising Florida and I mean I praised Florida a little bit after week one as well so maybe I fall victim to that but 26-16 that final and Alabama just gets by Texas 20 to 19 Rob, when you look around college football, uh, specifically here in the SEC, uh, some takeaways from this weekend. Man, I mean, it's hard not to think that Bama looks gettable, but I, I don't know that I'd bet a lot of money. On that, I think on we'll be being, okay. And on them being real vulnerable. Now, Texas A&M is probably the more interesting thing to me just because of how all in they've been from, you know, back when they signed Jimbo to what then we, was just a staggering contract. Obviously, all, all the NIL stuff you know, that they've been at the forefront of, and then to lay an egg like that at home, that one, that one jumped out at me, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty big time. I mean, that's, and, and, you know, we all know Appy State's a competent program and they're, they're very well coached at, at that level. They're, they're always, you know, making noise, but man, for A&M to lose that game at home in a season where so much was expected, I don't, I don't know if the, Fans really expected them to get to Atlanta, but they, they weren't a top ten team, though. I mean, they, we knew that they they expected them to be in the mix for Atlanta, and now that's, I mean, that looks like a pipe dream. Well, and, and look, give, give Appy State credit too for getting off the deck after the way they lost to, to North Carolina. But but what are you doing, Texas A and M? I mean, did you not watch the North Carolina tape? I mean, it's not like it was an opening week surprise like Appy State did to Michigan, where you can say, hey, you, you know, you overlooked them because you were focused on somebody else in the preseason and, and you didn't take them as serious as you needed to <clears throat> Tennessee, Georgia state. Uh, but you know, a, a situation where you, you got tape from six days earlier to know what they did against North Carolina. And, and, and you played the way that you did with, with Jimbo Fisher and, and his team. Now I think it's fascinating. Jimbo Fisher and Kevin Sumlin's record are essentially the same oh, that was at fantastic. this point. Um, that, that narrative is going to continue to be driven home. And here's the thing for A&M Miami 
Arkansas, their next two football games. You better figure out your offense and your offensive woes in a hurry if you're Texas A&M because uh, Jimbo Fisher's an offensive guru, right? He's, he's, he's the quarterback whisperer and all those things. You better find some offense quickly playing against those two football teams for sure. Sam Hartman back for Wake Forest, and they beat Vanderbilt by 20. Arkansas, a win over South Carolina. Arkansas is having a good start to the season. I mean, South Carolina is not going to contend to get to Atlanta either, but going on the uh, – playing them, and, and Spencer Rattler almost threw for 400 yards in that game. So, uh, again, that was a good game. And South Carolina's defense is vulnerable to me. Yeah. Um, they gave up a ton of yards. Arkansas can run it against anybody, it looks like. Um, you know, Alabama's interesting. They've got to tighten things up on the offensive line. Uh, they don't have the receivers. They, they don't have they don't have the guys. They don't have the dudes running around that they've had the last seemingly ten years, where you could look up and it's a seventy yard touchdown. Maybe they develop, but right now, Rob, I'm not seeing the dudes there, which changes them, makes them a little more pedestrian on offense. Um, which I guess a lot of people think makes them somewhat gettable or more gettable based on what we saw in the Texas game. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. That that was my biggest takeaway other than, you know, they, once you mentioned the offensive line, they just don't have, you know, Jalen Waddle, Jerry Judy, you know, Amari Cooper, who, you know, Mechie, the kid, you know, the kids from last year. It's just they they don't have those those guys that, to me anyway, and, and again, you said that they've recruited guys that are, that are ranked like that that are on the team, but – I don't know if um, if they're that to that point in the development where they just scare the bejesus out of you like they have in years past. Georgia still look good, 33-0 over Sanford. And then the last one I want to bring to everyone's attention, Missouri. Just getting <laughs> railed. Missouri looked <laughs> awful. I can't find the score, but it was a lot to a little. 44-12? Yeah. yeah. And they threw interceptions on three consecutive possessions. Is that right? I mean, I, I didn't see that game. I just saw it was – it was really uncompetitive. Um, it was – Missouri scored 12. It was either 44 or 48, one of the two. 40, but, 40 to 12. Okay, and Missouri scored like in the final seconds, scored a touchdown, or, or it looks even worse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and good there. I'll say this. Hats off – I mean, give credit where credit's due to Kentucky for finding a way to go down there and win. I don't know that Florida handled week one success particularly well. Billy Napier with some bizarre clock management late in that game – but Kentucky's defense was stout, really good plan there. Um, you know, they score on defense, you know, help 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 their offense out a good bit. Uh, they still struggle to run it right now. We'll see how that grows moving forward. But that's a big win for Mark Stoops in Kentucky. And, um, you know, credit to them. They've played Florida well the last the last three years. They've won two of the last three or the win in back-to-back years here. Um, they've done a good job. Had a good defensive plan against Florida the, the, the last two years. I think Inter- overall they've won three of five. Yeah, interesting. This league's interesting. It was thirteen and one in week one, and everybody's you know got all this. And now you look at it and you go, you know, you got Georgia, Alabama still there because they're Alabama. You think they're going to be okay? And, and then Rob, it's that sack of potatoes, right? I mean, you, you're throwing some teams in there. Who is two through eight in this league? Uh, we'll we'll see yeah. you know over you, the course of the next three weeks. I'll tell you a game I'm interested in this weekend, Mississippi State LSU. I kind of I kind of like the Pirate and, and the Bulldogs to win that one. Just I had a chance that you know we we all worked late. You guys worked later than I did Saturday, but Mississippi State played super late out on the West Coast against Arizona, and I don't think Arizona is very good, but Mississippi State was pretty sharp. I would they're gonna LSU's gonna have to score more points than they've looked capable of scoring 
so far to win on Saturday, I think. Yeah, and speaking of late games, I was reminded, too, why Tennessee had no desire to go to BYU and play, right? I mean, that, that game finished out against Baylor and a top, you know, Baylor's a top 10 team that got beat on the road at BYU in a 2 a.m. affair that nobody was watching. And, and if you win, if Baylor wins, it's all they're supposed to win. But the chances of going out there and getting into that mess are, are challenging. There's not a whole lot of benefit to playing uh, to, to playing out there on, on the road uh, late night. I don't think you get a whole lot out of that. So uh, that, that one was a, an interesting game to watch, too, because Baylor has no business being a top-10 team with the quarterback play that they were getting at BYU on Saturday night as well. Among other reasons why Tennessee didn't want to play in that football game, Penn State and Auburn's this weekend as well, Miami yeah. and Texas A&M. I think Miami and Texas A&M are, is really intriguing because I don't know where A&M's at. I just yeah. don't, I don't see Auburn, Rob. I know that's on the plains, but I don't see Auburn, given where they're at right now, yeah. being able to really compete with Penn State. Yeah. I may be wrong, but I don't see that one. If they have a good year, if they win eight or nine games, just mail the coach of the year trophy to Brian Harson for everything he's been through. And, you know, just to get to this point, AD quit. You just got out of town. Like I'm not dealing with it. I'm with you guys at the time of this recording. It's only a two and a half point favorite for Penn state. Yeah. It surprises me. Sitting at minus 160 on the money line. I mean, I don't, I don't think Penn state's great, but I just don't, I don't see. I think Auburn's awful. I mean, in two games, Auburn's done nothing to to wow me or, or to impress me in any way, shape, or form. So, uh, we'll see. All right. So, we got plenty to discuss as the week goes on. It's it's the Akron game. Understand that. But as Josh Heupel said on Monday. Hey, it's better biggest... than it being the Army game if you're the Tennessee no coaching doubt. staff. <laughs> you no don't want to spend this week it. preparing for the option with Auburn coming the next week. So, $50,000. Or five hundred thousand dollars, whatever that, or hundred thousand dollars was the difference. There, hundred thousand dollars probably pretty well spent. Where you're not focusing on the option this week, you're focusing on getting yourself better and get ready for Florida. Akron's still getting paid, yet they can't send a depth chart. It's a little, little interesting there. So that's coming up as the week goes on. Plenty of stuff on the front page of BallQuest.com over on our new home with the On Three family. Hey, one dollar for one year. That deal will not last forever. One dollar for one year. Get it while it lasts. And join us over at on3ballquest.com and, of course, the General's Quarters. And always follow our work on YouTube by searching BallQuest. For Brent Hubs, Rob Lewis, I'm Eric Kane. Thank you so much for tuning in and uh, hanging out with us here on the BallQuest podcast. We'll be back for the mailbag on Thursday. But until then, enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, everybody. You've been listening to the Ball Quest podcast every week here on Ball Quest. <laughs>